You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Tonight we're continuing a series that we began last week called Harmony, God's Plan for Community. Harmony, God's Plan for Community. We have some handouts that we'd like to hand out if you did not get one last week or perhaps uh, you, you, you lost yours, God forbid. Um, but, uh, we have some extra handouts here. We don't have a ton, but we have a few, uh, you don't have to take them, but if you're interested in taking them, it'll help you out a little bit as we go through this study. Also, if you are watching online or if you are forgetful or you misplace things, um, you can go on to our church Facebook page and somewhere, I'm not tech savvy, I can't figure it out, but somewhere on Facebook, there is a tab for notes under the page. And if you click the notes, this handout is actually up there, I do believe. Is that right, Brother Brandon? Amen. They tell me it's on there. I have no clue. I can't find it, but I hope the Lord helps you a little bit better than me be able to find this handout. But for those of you who are in person, we're going to hand these out and uh, it'll help you out here. We are looking at harmony, God's plan for community. And this is a study in Romans chapters 12 through 16. So this is a topical study from Romans chapter 12 through 15. I don't know if anybody in the balcony needs a handout here as well, but you can hit them up there also. In Romans chapter 12, in the New Living Translation, three times it uses the word harmony. That word is not present in the King James Version, which is my go-to version. I love it so much. The King James Version is just absolutely incredible. It's withstood the test of time and really is incredible. But sometimes it does use language and vernacular that is not commonplace in today's contemporary world. And so other translations make certain attempts, and sometimes there's a little bit of uh, uh, danger in certain translations. The New Living Translation is not a translation that I would necessarily recommend for more than devotional study because it does change some things. It does have some bias in translation, and there are plenty of examples where the translation is probably not great, uh, but there's also other places where it really opens up, and so uh, and really makes it explainable. And so you hear me often refer to that. And in the New Living Translation, it sort of brings a, a, a thread by translating this thought that Paul has to the word harmony. In Romans 12, 16, it says, live in harmony with each other. In Romans 14, 19, it says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church. And then in Romans 15 and 5, it says that he would help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. What we see in Romans chapter 12 through 16 and this is the study, are 22 points for living in harmony. Now, maybe you could read through there and you'll find an extra one or you would subtract one and you'd say they're double. But this is my personal devotional study and I made a list. 
And so I'm sharing this with you. 22 points for living in harmony. Amen. This is God's plan for harmony. And Paul puts great emphasis on this. Now, we are apostolic. We thank God for that. What that means is we try as best as we can to live according to the apostles' doctrine, the apostles being those first followers that, that were with Jesus Christ, that had the fullness of understanding. We don't want to stray in any way from what Christ gave them. And so our attempt is to be apostolic, to get back to the book of Acts, New Testament church, as as close as possible in a modern context, we want to be an apostolic church. We also refer to ourselves as Pentecostal because one of the defining characteristics of the apostolic church, the early church, was that they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we don't accept the notion that says that was just for them, but we, we fall in line with Acts 2 and 39 for the promise is unto you and your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so thank God he's called us. Amen. And we feel his divine call. So we're trying to get back to that. But in doing all of that, the apostles established doctrine, but as important equally as doctrine was, as they established those things, they also dealt with living among other people in this world. Human relations, it dominates the New Testament. Our interaction with one another, how we deal with one another, how we deal with the world, how we interact with the world is a prevailing and predominant thread and theme in the New Testament. We are only going to look at Romans chapters 12 through 16. You could go to many other epistles and you could reinforce every point that we're going to cover here. So we're going to get in and pick back up here where we left off. As we do, I'm going to ask you if we could just stop and let's just ask the Lord, would you pray with me? And let's ask the Lord to help us tonight because this is his word and we don't just want to take it casually, but we want it to impact our soul. Would you lift your voice with me? God, in Jesus name, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your wisdom and strength. I thank you for bringing us here tonight. I thank you for the word that edifies and you alone know what we need need, not only corporately, but individually. And I pray, God, that as we come, Lord, some are weak, God, some are seeking for direction, some are just here. Lord, I pray that your word would breathe life into us tonight. And God, Lord, let it come and let it be manifest in our life. Let it not just be a form of religion, but God, let it be something that plays out in practice through your anointing. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you tonight. We're going to go to... 22 points. Now, we're, we, we went through five points last week, but that was because I had to give a long introduction. So tonight, we're going to get more than five points. But uh, for those of you that weren't here, let me recap. These first five points were powerful, and you can go back online on Facebook or YouTube, and you can catch last week and do so if you missed this because it's some powerful stuff. Number one, the first thing that Paul tells us is really love each other, truly love each other. Don't just let it be words. 
Number two, practice help and hospitality. Be hospitable to one another. Number three, bless your persecutors. This was an interesting point. Uh, This is not uh, human wisdom. This is something only God can do. Number three, enjoy the company of saints. Enjoy the company of saints. Don't just pretend it, but actually enjoy people. You have to do something. There's a little bit of work involved. Number five, don't be a know-it-all. And everybody said amen. 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 That's a good one right there. So maybe you know somebody that needs to hear that, and you could just send them that little link <laughs> and say, this really is what I needed to hear, so I'm passing it along. Amen. Number six tonight. So here we come to Romans chapter number 12 and verse number, let's go to verses number 17. Uh, We'll look at 17 and verse uh, 19 as well. So Romans chapter number 12, 17 in the King James Version says this recompense to no man, evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Skip down to verse number 19, and he says this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Number six on our study is this, Take no revenge. Take no revenge. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And then in verse 19, it says it this way. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back says the Lord. Never take revenge. This goes against human nature. It goes against your natural inclination. If somebody does something to you, you do something back. That is our natural impulse. It's our natural response. If anybody has ever had road rage uh, acted upon you, you just thought, You were a quiet, peaceable person. And then all of a sudden, something right, how dare they do that? Where did they get that right? Who do they think they are? Come on. We've all had those moments and those things happen to us. And the natural inclination is to take revenge, to enact what's been acted upon us. And here Paul is clearly saying, do not Pay evil for evil. In fact, he goes on and says, avenge not yourselves. Never take revenge. This was not something Paul was thinking up, but this is something that comes and is as old as the law of Moses. Go with me for a moment. We won't do this much, but a few times we'll look back. Go with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter number 19. I don't think I gave you the scripture. If you can get this, Leviticus chapter number 19 and verses 17 and 18, we'll look at it in the King James Version. 
The, the laws are being written here for the children of Israel as they come out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And now God is giving them specific instructions through his prophet Moses. And so if this was not an issue, it never would have to have been written in scripture. But it's written in there because it's an issue. And it says this, Leviticus 19 and verse 17. He says this, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. That's very specific. You are not allowed. God says you are not permitted to let hatred be in your heart. Who does he say? For your brother. Who's your brother? Your brother is a child of God. He's writing this to the children of God. Someone who is also made in the image of God. Someone who is also loved by God. He goes on and he says, Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer uh, sin upon him. Verse 18, look at what he says. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Amen. The revelation of God. He puts that on the end. I am the Lord. That was his revelation. That was him revealing himself. That was establishing, confirming, and affirming the revelation that they had of who he was. And he says, if you really know who I am, you won't do this. I'm going to tell you, that's why it's important that we understand who God is. And we have a clear view of God in our life, not a blurred view, not a, a distorted view, not a distracted view of who God is. He said this, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Here's the thing. I mentioned it a few weeks ago when we came to this verse, how you feel about another person in covenant with God matters to God. Not how you act, how you feel. Now, I know right there, that alone steps on every single person's toes that has ever walked through the back doors of this church, including yours truly. How you feel about another person who is in covenant with God that he sees as his child matters to God. And God says, do not take revenge. Do not take a vengeance. Do not revenge. In fact, he goes on in that passage and we won't talk about it, but he says, don't even bear a grudge. What, what, what does that mean? Don't bear a grudge. Well, the, how do you get rid of a grudge? You've got to confront it and you've got to deal with it and you've got to have reconciliation. That's how you deal with a grudge. You say, well, I got this grudge. You can't deal. I, I, I can't get rid of it. I can't help the way I feel. Well, you can help the way you feel when you confront it, you deal with it, you reconcile, you forgive, you love, you work through it. But, but what he's saying here is never take revenge. Well, where does this come from? What, what does he say? Why is the reason that we should never take revenge? Well, the reason he says, here's another reason. Not only does God care about how we feel about his people, but look at what he says. He says, for it is written. And now Paul is quoting. He's not only, he's not only referencing Leviticus. Now he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35. We won't go there right now. But he says, it is written vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Brother Ryan, go ahead and get Deuteronomy 32 and 35 for me. Think about this. While he's turning there, because it, it, it says it, I like the way 
it says it there. Vengeance is mine is how Paul translates it and interprets it here in the New Testament. Why we should not avenge ourselves is number one, we should, we should not allow that to be in our heart, but the net, we should forgive, we should reconcile, we should deal with it. But the second reason is this. If, if I confront them and we try to reconcile and they don't change and they're just going to be hateful toward me and they're going to still have whatever they're going to have against me, I am human and my attempt to avenge them is going to be futile. It's not going to be sufficient. It's not going to work because I don't know their heart. I can't understand those things. I can't know the measure. I can't know the, the depth or the shallowness of the offense that they enacted against me. But God knows and God says, I will repay. I will do this. How does he say it there? Deuteronomy 32 and 35. To me belongeth vengeance. To me belongeth vengeance. God says you don't have the right to enact things out. I'm the creator. I'm the father. I will. I will balance the scales. I will bring justice on creation and eternity as a whole. That does not belong to you. That belongs to me. What does he say? And recompense. And recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. Yes. For the day of their calamity is at hand. For the day of their calamity is at hand. Their foot shall slide in due time. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. So don't you worry. Don't you fret. Don't you fear. Don't you worry about anything. Don't take revenge. Let God work things out. Amen. 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 Is this all right? right. You say, well, it's easy for you to think that when you're, when you're thinking about this, it's easy to think that about the big things in life and the big things. But I'm going to tell you, you should, you should let this come into your heart, not only for the big things in life that you hear about and read about on the news and, and your stuff, but you ought to let this sink into your heart and your soul for the very little things, the little offenses the little things that happen in community, the little things that happen in church. All right? Don't take revenge. Don't seek somebody humiliated me. Well, I'm going to humiliate them back. Don't seek to do that. Don't, don't seek to try to enact those things out. Act in mercy. Act in grace. Act in love. Amen. And Paul said this later on in another place. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, the reason why I'm running to you and I'm preaching to you and I'm teaching to you and I'm talking to you so hard and strong and straight, he said, is because I want you to repent. I want you to change. He said, I can't change. I can't change what's going on in your life. But if you don't repent and you don't change, I have seen, I know what is waiting for you and take it from me. You do not want to wait for the judgment and the justice of God. You want to get under mercy. You want to get under grace. You want to get under salvation. Amen. And so one reason why we would not take vengeance, amen, is because I'm under grace tonight. And because of mercy and grace tonight, I'm under mercy tonight. I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ tonight. He became my atonement. Because he died, I don't have to. Because he died, I have a pathway to life. And he took, he, he did not, he did not excuse it. He did not erase the debt. He said, I'll pay the debt. Yeah. 
He took care of the debt. Amen. So he avenged my sin in his own death on the cross. And if I escape the vengeance of the Lord, amen, and had it deflected from me, my prayer for you is that you also would escape the vengeance of the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Somebody say amen. 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 Proverbs 20 and 22. Here it is. He says, say not, I will recompense, but wait on the Lord. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Just wait on the Lord. God's going to work it out. God will balance the scales. Amen. Let's move on. So never take revenge. So that's a, that's a simple thing right there. We, 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 we spent too long. Just, just tell some, turn to somebody and just say, don't do it. Just tell them, it's that simple. Right there. I just helped you out. Number seven. Number seven. We got to hasten on. Work. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 because we skipped a verse. If you notice that, that was intentional. We went to verse 17, then we went to verse 19 because it was a reaffirmation of 17. But in verse 18, he says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, Amen. God has, that's a hard one. That's a hard one right there. I tell you, that's how I feel right there. <laughs> oh, Lord, this is a hard one. And Scripture knows that, and so it tells us if it be possible. Okay, so what does that mean? That means sometimes it ain't possible. <laughs> Can we just be honest? <laughs> there are, because in order to have peace among others, they've got to be willing to have peace as well. Yeah. Amen? So, so, so be careful. Amen. You can't just say, I woke up today and I decided my house is going to be a house of peace. Well, unless you live alone, <laughs> you're going to need to have a conference on this one. Right? And, and, but when you do come together, you can conference and you can come together collectively and say, this is going to be a house of peace. And you can establish parameters and, and protocols and things and say, we're not going to, this, these, there's are things that are not ever going to happen. This is how we're going to resolve things. This is how we're going to deal with difficult things and work through difficult things. And we're going to have a house of peace and we're going to have a community of peace. And this is what he's saying. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If there is not going to be peace, do not let God look down and say, well, there was one more thing you could have done. Amen. Do not say, well, they're, they're not being peaceable. Well, have you done everything that you can do? Have you done absolutely everything that you could do? Is there one more thing that you could do? As much as lieth in you. I love this because he does not put the responsibility on the other person. He puts the responsibility on yours truly. And the only way we get to peace is when we all take responsibility ourselves. Well, I just keep telling my wife, we've got to have a home peace, and she just won't listen to me. I just, you know, I just keep telling them. I don't know what the deal is. Well, no, you've got to say, hey, I'm going to own this. I'm going to do this. this I'm going to do everything that I can. I'm going to go out of my way as much as lieth in me. 
You know, when you say, well, well, I shouldn't have to do that. People, you know, people will say, well, I got this problem and all this stuff. Well, have you done this? Well, I shouldn't have to do that. Well, that's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say as much as you have to do or ought to do, do that. It says as much as lieth in you. Is this all right? So the New Living Translation, for those of you that couldn't understand the KJV, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Pretty simple, pretty basic, pretty plain. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, let me just pause here and clarify what everyone means. Every one. So we can't pick and choose. We can't say, well, I'm going to be at peace with this person, but not this person. I can't even say, well, I'm going to be at peace with people in the church, but not people that aren't in the church. I can't even say, well, I'm going to be in peace with these kind of people, but I'm not going to be at peace with these kind of people. No, everyone means that very quickly I'm going to encounter somebody that is different than me in every way. I'm going to encounter somebody that is not in covenant with the Lord. I'm going to encounter somebody that does not honor God, that does not love God, but do everything that you can to live peaceably with everyone. I wish I had time, but we don't to go through the Old Testament. There's so many, so many examples of high rulers in the world that that God's people came in contact with. So you have Moses and you have Pharaoh, you have, you have Abraham and you have the king of Salem. You have, uh, you have all of these different encounters here. You have uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. You have, um, uh, oh my goodness, the three Hebrew boys. You have uh, Esther and Mordecai, uh, uh, um, yeah, Mordecai and uh, Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. You have uh, Nehemiah and, or uh, Ezra, and you have Cyrus, the king of Persia. So these were all secular pagan rulers and kings. You have Paul and you have Caesar. You have all of these pagan, idolatrous rulers, kings, presidents, governors, whatever you want to say. These people were steeped in idolatry. Like it wasn't cloaked. It was like you're walking past the human sacrifice to get to their courtroom kind of thing. And yet God's people lived peaceably among them, found favor with them. And because of the relationship in due time, God was able to use them and send his power upon them. Uh, Naaman, Comes to the prophet, dips in the Jordan seven times. He's brought there. He is a captain of what? The Assyrian army that's torturing and terrorizing God's people. But he had taken a captive and among the captives was a handmaiden and she was a daughter of Israel. And she was, so here she is, her captor, but yet she lived peaceably and she became a great witness So the captain of the great empire comes down and God does a miracle and there's a testimony there. So uh, you say, well, they don't live for God and they're not standing for truth. That does not give you a right to hate them, to be antagonistic to them, because they are still by default of being a creation, being a human. They are made in the image of God. And it's God's will. His blood on Calvary was shed, not just for you. It was also shed for them. Now they have the ability. God gave them the free will to reject it. But Jesus already, he already paid the account. If they will allow the credit to be applied to their life. 
And so we have to do everything to live peaceably. Who knows? But by your peace of peace, you may be the very witness that wins them and converts them. You may be the very one. You know, the, the most secular and, uh, 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 Oh, the, the Sadducees in the New Testament, you, you have confusion. I won't go through this. I've talked about it before. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees were the ruling uh, class of priests in Judaism at the time of Christ. The Sadducees were so secular. They were hedonistic. They were basically Romans in culture, in lifestyle, but because it was such a great money-making scheme, they, they were Jewish in tradition. And that's why the Pharisees hated them, because the Pharisees were trying to hold on to Scripture, and the Sadducees weren't holding on to Scripture, just a few things. But the Bible says in Acts chapter number 6 that there was such a revival that took place that a great company of the priesthood converted. And we already know that the priesthood that were serving were Sadducees, that the most unlikely people hear me, to become Christians, became Christians in the New Testament. You know what I'm believing? The Bible says greater works than these shall you do. If it happened in the New Testament, why can't it happen in 2020? Why can't it happen? That the communities that are the most unlikely... All it takes is one miracle, one demonstration of God's presence, one answer of prayer, one powerful thing, one word of truth to make it in there. Amen. And God's word can reach them and save them. So you live peaceably. Now, living peaceably does not mean you endorse or condone sin and unrighteousness. Amen. We do not. We speak out against all sin. We speak out against all unrighteousness. We speak out against all of that sin. We don't condone that, but that does not mean that I cannot still live peaceably among them. Number eight, I got to hasten on. I got to hasten on tonight. Somebody say amen. 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 Thank you. Romans chapter number 13 and verse one. This is going to be, this is going to be a big one and I'll let you unpack this on your own because I could spend a whole lot of time on this. Romans chapter 13 and verse one. Let every soul Let me just pause there. Who? Which ones? Every soul be subject unto the higher power. So what does he mean by this? For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. You mean that whoever is president? It's okay, folks. It's Wednesday night. It's all right. It's just us. It's okay. Isn't it the Word of God? Yes, it is. Now, let's put this in context. Paul's writing this to the church at Rome. This is not a bastion of morality. This is not a beautiful place where they're living right. Folks, I mean, if we, I cannot speak the things publicly in this setting that were going on in display in their culture. The things they did to... Uh, uh, now today, the difference between today and back then was back then they put it on statues and they put it around and everybody knew about it. Today, we don't address it. We don't talk about it. We don't act like it exists. We just pipe it in through every house through entertainment. Okay. So that's the world that we live in today. But the evil and the iniquity that's going there. And yet Paul says, the powers that be are ordained of God. Where did he get this? Well, he gets this from the Old Testament. He understood. Last night you said that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. 
Amen. That means God, God has this whole thing in, in his hands. God says, hey, I, I, I set up who I set up, and I, I allow to come down who I allow to come down, and I use it. I use it for my glory. I use it to manifest. I use it for this whole thing. I, I rise, and I, I, I bring down. I bring uh, one kingdom up to judge another kingdom. I allow it all to work out. God's hand is on all of this, on this whole world. Now, when you know that, you sleep a lot better at night because you don't worry about what's happening because you know God's got the whole world in his hands and it doesn't really matter who's up and who's down because this thing's all working out and so what Paul says is the powers that be are ordained of God whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation now here's just a side point here an unsubmitted spirit never leads to salvation that's just a side note. An unsubmitted spirit never leads to salvation. I feel like I've got music playing in the monitors. Am I hearing something here? I don't know. Sounds like the radio's on. Amen. Nobody else hears that. It's just me. That's always a sign, they say, that you're getting old when you're the first one that is hearing things. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, <clears throat> so an unsubmitted spirit is never... Maybe the Lord's trying to speak to me. I don't know. You know, so... I'll just keep going on. So. An unsubmitted spirit is never a pathway to salvation. And so what Paul says here is you, you submission, submission is, has got to be in your spirit. It's got to be in your heart. And, and, and where, it's, where it's most prominent, where it's most critical is submission to spiritual authority. What, what, what do you mean by spiritual? Well, submission to God, his authority, his word. I've got to submit to his word. And if I submit to his word, then I've got to submit to his program. And he's, he's established for us certain things. That's why he says, children, obey your parents for this is right in the Lord. God ordained them as a delegated authority. He establishes delegated authority. He establishes in the church delegated authority. He, he has spiritual permit, uh, 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 authority. I thank God I'm here today because I've had spiritual authority in my life, and I still do. There, there, there is a veto power in my life. God has veto power in my life. God ought to have veto power in your life. And so what Paul is saying is since the world is established by God, God permits what's happened. Yes, there's a lot of sin and all that stuff, but God is the one who allows certain things to rise up. Don't make the mistake to say, well, I'm the called and I'm the elect and I'm the chosen of God, and they're not. And so you get a rebellious spirit in your heart. That is an interesting place where we find ourselves. Folks, the word of God is never more relevant than it is today. There's an interesting place where we find ourselves where, where we think, well, we are self-justified in rebelling against certain authority, and Paul is actually confronting this. Now, your submission is relative in this context. We're submitted to the authority of God, and we're submitted to, we are submitted to God's authority, and by by uh, extension, we're submitted to delegated authority. What Paul is talking about is delegated authority. So if there's a king, if there's an empire that you're living under, that's a ruler, that's a delegated authority that God has permitted in that time. You are to submit to that delegated authority, whether that authority, you don't submit to the personality. For instance, it is an unhealthy thing for me to come in as pastor and say, I'm a spiritual authority. You have to submit to me. You don't submit to me, Andrew Romine. You submit to the office of a pastor. Amen? Because if Andrew Romine goes sideways, what did Paul say? If I 
or another, an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. So your submission is relative in as much as it is in line with God's authority. But obedience to God is absolute. So you always have to obey God. But submission is relative in this. And this is where he's talking about this, this relative submission. So don't resist because if you resist, you are ultimately resisting the ordinance of God. This is why it's so critical, parents, that you understand and you teach your children to be uh, in submission. That's why it's so critical and so important. Because if your kids don't get this and your kids are in rebellion against you as a delegated spiritual authority in their life, they are on the wrong path for the rest of their life. That's why I'm so thankful. Not only my parents, they, they, they lovingly would correct me. They would loving, lovingly discipline me. There was never a question of their love, but they would take action to make sure that I understood how this thing works and played out. Not only that, but they reinforce the authority, not only of God and God's word, but of the church in my life and the role that it played. And they taught that that was a help. That was my lifeline on more than one occasion where I had that because they instituted that in my life. We've got to be careful. If we just get a rebellious spirit, that can trickle down. That can affect us. And what Paul's saying is it can infect your spiritual walk so much so that it can impact your salvation. Does anybody see what I'm reading here? I'm not making this up. Look at what he says in verse 3. For rulers are not a tear to good works, but to evil. Now, this is, this is, there are exceptions. Okay, there are exceptions. Hitler was an evil man trying to carry out an evil philosophy. There are exceptions. There are things. Okay, and so there's a righteous cause where the world rose up together to renounce that, denounce that, to squelch that, to, pr to press that out. But by and large, as a general rule, rulers, people who are ruling, people who are trying to bring order, are not a terror to good works, but a terror to evil. What is he saying here? So look, he says, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So what is he saying? He's saying, well, look at verse 4. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. Now, Paul is specifically talking about government. He's talking about law enforcement. I know this is, this is a very... Uh, Hot topic, a very confrontational topic. Uh, are there issues? Are there problems? Absolutely. Are they, should they be addressed? Unrighteousness, sin, uh, injustice should always be addressed. But Paul is living in the era of a Roman Empire. There were also injustices. There were also things that were taking place in that time. And yet Paul is saying, as the church, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. The model, the Christians, the examples that we ought to take to be an example and an example to the rest of the world. He said, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now God says, don't you take vengeance upon yourself. But God says, I enact certain people and allow them to take vengeance upon certain things of this world. So what is Paul saying? He says, first of all, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have to be afraid of doing anything wrong or being found of doing anything wrong. 
Now, that doesn't mean that there's not people who have abused this and all that stuff. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what Paul is saying is that they are ministers of God for good works. And so Paul is telling us that we've got to listen. And there, what does he say in verse 5? Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So Paul says this is going to affect your conscience, how you rebel against evil people, against immoral rulers, against unjust rulers, how you deal with that. This is going to have an impact. Live peaceably. What's the answer to problem? Well, we talked about this before, didn't we? Pray. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Absolutely. When there's issues, well, I'm going to tell you, nothing will change things more than fasting and prayer. Say, I don't believe it. Well, what did Daniel and the three Hebrew boys do? They fasted. We don't want the king's meat. We're just going to eat on this. And Daniel did a fast. And what happened? God brought them out. What did Esther do? They fasted. And what did it do? It changed the, it changed the trajectory of nations. Amen. What did they not do? None of them in those cases took up the sword and rebelled, but they let God work it out. So this is something that a lot of people don't like to talk about in Romans chapter 13. Don't go to YouTube and YouTube Romans 13, or you can go to YouTube, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. What we need to do is take the Bible as the word of God and let it speak into our hearts. So number eight, what was point number eight? Did I give you point number eight? Submit to authorities. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. God has permitted and God has allowed and God will bring down who he will bring down and he will raise up who he raises up. When he raises them up, they're not the Messiah. No, Messiah's already come. They're just something that God has had happen. The Bible says that God frustrates the nations. He frustrates them. He frustrates the nations because he's working out his plan and his kingdom. They think they're working out their kingdom. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm working out my kingdom. Amen. How many believe that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I thank God that I, I, I thank God for the freedoms that we live in. I thank God for a free nation, a place where we can worship like this. I thank God for everything that God has given to us. But can I tell you, there is, there is something we must understand, and that is that God is the one that's in control. God is the one that is on the throne. Amen. And we must be a people under God. Ultimately, that's, that's what it's all about. And that's what Paul is saying here. You're under God. You're under God. And so the faith, Paul's not putting faith in evil empires or evil governors. Paul's putting faith in the Lord God Almighty. And that's where we put our faith in the Lord God Almighty. Amen. All right, let's go on to the next one. Well, let me, let me reiterate this point as we're going to the next one. The last point about submitting to authorities came from a man that was a former persecutor and was now being persecuted. 
Okay? So I want you to remember that point. We talked about that when we talked about bless those that persecute you. But Paul was a former persecutor, and he's now being persecuted. And so let's put that in context in a Roman environment of how Paul is saying that. Number nine. Number nine. Let's go to Romans chapter 13 and verse number six. He says, for this cause, for this cause, everything we just talked about, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way, pay your taxes to, for these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid, they are serving God in what they do. Now, how in the world do you get, how do you get, why those taxes, Paul is living in a day, folks, where taxpayers did not have, or, or tax collectors, rather. Tax collectors are not known to be great men. Amen. And yet Paul says, pay your taxes. Turn to somebody and say, just do it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, I know sometimes... I, we get it. We get in this fair, unfair, all this other, you know, we, we get all, we're going to fight about all that stuff. But if you go to jail, okay, for not paying your taxes, don't call me. <laughs> I can't help you. Amen. Because I'm doing, I'm doing my best to pay mine. So you pay yours. No. So we're having a little bit of fun. But understand here, this is what Paul says. Is this in here? Folks, are there ever points where you wish they weren't in the Bible? Sometimes, yes. But this is right here in the Bible. I don't know that I need to elaborate on this. Pay your taxes. Hey, we, we live in a place. I, you know, I, I, I don't know anybody that says, man, I just love, I just love seeing my taxes go. I just know they're going to such a great cause. I just love, you know, I want to give more of my taxes. No, most people aren't saying that. But you know what I do enjoy? I do enjoy being able to travel around on roads that I don't have to maintain. Amen. Are there benefits? Absolutely there are benefits. You say, well, taxes are, are they're, you know, it's not fair. It's not right. Well, um, every, if, if you live in a family unit, you, you got you to gotta put in a little bit of effort there. There's no free ride. There's no free lunch. So thank God for that. Let God work that out and uh, just do what's right. Amen? Is this all right? Number 10. Let's go to number 10. And we got to quit. Number, number 10, Romans 13 and verse 8, following this. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Number 10, don't withhold payments. Don't withhold payments. So the Bible says, owe no man anything. Now, some people have taken this out of context and said, therefore, you can never have debt. All debt is of the devil and it's sinful and it's horrible. That's not what this is saying because you have to read the Bible in context. That means you can't proof text. Proof texting is when you pick one verse out of scripture. And you don't read it in the context of the whole of thing. The Bible not only talks about loaning and borrowing, it gives rules and guidelines on how you ought to treat one another when you do that in the Old Testament. In the Psalms, it talks about the righteous willingly loaning 
to other people of good, uh, uh, other righteous, trying to help them out. Hey, you are helping one another. It talks about all this in economy. It was very much understood in that context. What Paul is saying here is, oh, no man, anything. Do not withhold debts. Do not withhold. Don't go and borrow something from someone and then you're never paying it back. Don't go and say, well, I took this, but you know what? They're so blessed. They, they don't need it. They'll just go. No, he says, don't hold out on things. Don't, don't make an agreement with somebody and then don't carry that through. Oh, no man, anything but to love one another. If there's anything that you're going to do, you ought to have love one for another. Love one for another in your life. Here he says here. In the New Living Translation, he puts it this way. Oh, nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. That's the indebtedness that you ought to carry through life. So you go through a loan, you borrow something. Okay, you get it. You have the terms, you pay it off. Don't let that extend throughout your life. But there's one thing that you're always going to be indebted for every day. There's one thing you're going to be in debt to other people every day. Every day that you get up, every time you come to church, you have a righteous obligation to love those around you. You have, it's a new day, a new debt. You got to love those around. Am I in the book? How many times should I forgive them, Lord? 70 times seven. And if they keep coming back, you've got a responsibility. You got a debt to love them. You've got an obligation to love them. Oh, no man, anything. He said, don't hold, don't let there be anything. Don't let, but every day you get up, you've got an obligation. Let the weight of that debt be the thing that motivates your relationship with all men. Somebody say, amen. 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 Romans chapter 13 and verse eight. We'll continue on here in verse nine. He says for this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. What does he say? Thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Number 11, love solves every problem. Love solves, love alone solves problems. Love alone solves problems. Here's what he's saying. He said, don't you, 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 you're going to frustrate yourself with all the list of all the rules of all the guidelines of all the things that you, you can and can't do. He said, but when you make love the focus, everything else is going to happen the way it ought to. When you, when you live, when you don't, oh, don't owe anybody anything. If you owe somebody, Pay it off. Do whatever you got. Do whatever you do. Work, work night and day. Don't sleep till you pay that off. Don't let that be an obligation. But every day you get up, let there be an obligation to love one another. And if that's the first thing that you wake up with, I got an obligation. I got to love them. I got to love them. Then you are going to carry out the rest of the law because love alone solves problems. Amen. Pastor, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Love. Amen. That may be hard. You might have to work it out. You're going to have to work to do some things, but get a biblical definition of what love is. What is love? Well, greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he 
gay. If you're not giving, you're not loving. Love is not word speak. Love is action. Love is carrying out. Love is sacrifice. Love is pain. Love is burden bearing. Love is torture. Love is agony. Amen. But when you love one another, it takes care of everything. If we go back to Leviticus chapter number 19, remember when he said, don't avenge. Remember when he said, don't bear a grudge. Remember when he said, don't hate your brother in your heart. He says, but thou shalt Love thy neighbor as thyself. If you will love them as yourself, I am the Lord, he says. If you will love them, he said, you won't bear the grudge. If you will love them, you won't want vengeance to come upon them. If you love them, I don't want to see them avenged. I want to see them get in the mercy and the grace of God. If you will love them, there won't be hatred in your heart. Love alone solves the problem. Amen. The world says it, but the world doesn't know what love is. The world says we need love, but they don't know what love is because love is not selfish. Love is selfless. And what people say a lot of times when we're crying love is they're crying. They're not crying love. They're crying love me. And when somebody's crying out, love me, you know what helps? It's when you love them. Amen. Amen. Love alone solves problems. Amen. We'll close with this. When you make love your focus, it simplifies your to-do list because everything is taken care of in love. That's why when Paul gives one, one admonishment to men for marriage, it's simply this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He doesn't put that responsibility on the children. He doesn't put that responsibility upon the, the wife, although it's all there. If we love one another, we ought to be willing to love that measure. But as the priest of the home, as the head of the home, as the chief one responsible, as the first point of responsibility and authority in the home, delegated authority, Paul, God speaks through Paul and says to the husbands, love, love so much that you give of yourself. And when you love that much... It's going to work out. Amen. Can we stand together? 22 points. God's plan for community. These are so simple and they are so elementary, if you will, but yet they are so profound. The work that they carry out in our life is so profound. The effect that carries out in our life from these simple things are so profound, and yet we make so many excuses and justify why we can't do this or why we can't do that. And here it is. We just got to do it. We just got to have love in our heart. Would you pray with me, Lord, in Jesus' name? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every person, every family, every home, every marriage, every man, woman that's here tonight and that's hearing God, that's listening, that's getting into your word. I pray right now for our situations. You know the difficulties that we are up against. You know the sins we've committed in our life, in our heart, those of omission, those of commission. And I pray tonight, God, let the word of God 
God, cleanse us. Let it wash us. And help us, God, to rise from this moment and say, I want your word to make a change in my life. Help me to turn some things, God. Let your anointing lead us. I pray right now that your blessing would cover every home, every marriage, every family, every relationship. In the name of the Lord Jesus.